Are there things in your life right now that are causing you to stumble? What are they? And are you willing to get rid of them? In Mark chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, Jesus gives a serious warning about things that stumble. We need to listen, and we need to know what they are and how to deal with them. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. There are things in my life that simply have to go. I can't play games with them. Illustration, you've heard it before, but here's what it is. You go to your doctor. Your doctor says, we just took a blood test and you have cookies and cream ice cream flowing through your veins. How often do you eat it? And you say, oh, three times a day. <laughs> is that a problem, doc? And your doctor says, yes, you need to lose 30 pounds. Your health's in jeopardy. You cannot eat that anymore. And you say, okay, doc, I, I want to be healthy. And then you go down to Rite Aid and you be, buy the biggest tub of cookies and cream ice cream known to mankind. You shove it into your freezer. You can barely close the freezer door. And then as you walk into the, the kitchen, which I do multiple times a day, you hear a voice coming from your freezer. Hello, eat me. You know you want me. And you walk by the freezer, something like this. Oh, Lord, help me. Now you have just played a silly game with yourself. The best thing you could have done is not buy the cookies and cream. Even more than that, maybe you need to chuck your freezer. I don't know. You see, sometimes what happens with us is we have something that's a besetting sin. It's a problem. It's, it's a growth in our lives. And instead of cutting it off, we put it in a closet. Uh, well, this, this used to be on the dining room table. I will now relocate it because I heard that sermon and you've got to get things out of your life. It's going to have a closet now. Really? Yeah. 20 feet that direction. See, I'm spiritual now. You can go over your closet, kind of hide it, right? What's it there for? For the next time you want to indulge? For the next time you want to go back to your sin? You see, you haven't cut it off. You just put it away for the next time you want to fall. And all God's people said, ouch. Ouch. I know. I'm with you. I got to wrestle with these things all week before I preach it to you. Anyway, here's the point. There are things in our lives that simply need to go. One writer says, whatever in one's life tempts one to be untrue to God must be discarded promptly and decisively even as a surgeon amputates a hand or leg in order to save a life. By cutting off or cutting out harmful practices and the things that bring us to those practices, this is the way we deal with sin. You can take, please hear me, no halfway measures with sin. You can't. Sin's always crouching at your door. If you give, a, if you give sin an inch, it will become the ruler. Everybody with me? This is how it works. And so those things just simply need to go. And Jesus says, look, when you get rid of those things, here's the good news. I'm gonna give you things a thousand times better. I'm gonna give you a, a, a comfy pillow to sleep on at night. I'm gonna, you're not gonna have to go through that guilt and repentance and thing that you do every time you fall to that same thing. Just cut it off. 
I want you to be free. I want you to be up on the track. I want you to be able to run in the way that I've called you to run. So chuck it. In the book of Acts, there was a great revival. Paul went preaching in Acts 19 in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was swimming in all kinds of occult, magical practices, sexual sin, you name it, it was there. And so Paul goes and preaches and the name of Jesus is showing power, people are getting healed, and there were these seven sons of Sceva, they were sons of a Jewish high priest, and so they, they knew the name of Jesus was powerful, so they started to try to use it in their exorcism business, and they ran into a case with this guy possessed, and they said, ah, uh, hey you, in the name of, of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of that man. And the spirit responded in the man, and he said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who? Are you? And the, the Bible says in Acts 19, you can read this later, it's verses like 15 through 20, that the spirit within the man jumped the seven sons of Sceva, all seven, and here's a loose paraphrase, and beat the stuffins out of them. And they ran out of the house naked and bleeding, all seven of them. This, and there's sometimes you know, uh, supernatural strength in these, some of these cases. And the spirit beat the tar out of these guys and they ran out of the house, these Jewish exorcists, naked and bleeding, news at 11. Here's the cover photo for the newspaper. Seven sons of Sceva bleeding. And it says that everybody was in fear in the place and the word of God was prevailing to such an extent the people were taking their magic books, their occult books, spells and all that and they took them and they threw them in a fire before all the people they actually burned their occult books. And the Bible says that the value of the books was 50,000 pieces of silver. Can you imagine? I'm sure there were some people at the fire going, I could sell this to a friend. <laughs> Maybe not a friend, but I, <laughs> I could get money for this. You ever had that moment in your life where the Lord's confronted you about some old CDs or movies in your collection? and you have a tough time getting rid of them, and you almost gotta have like a ceremony, then you think to yourself, you know, I could sell this to one of my friends. I know it stumbles me, but you know, it would make me a little bit of money. <laughs> That's not the best of us, right? No, they burned them. They showed the seriousness about their decision to follow Christ. And Jesus says, this place that I'm talking about, look at verse 44, Mark 9, is where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now some of you are gonna notice that's in brackets because there's a manuscript stream or family where that is not in the manuscripts. There's a variation here, but um, the idea is certainly there and we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 45, Mark 9. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast, once again, Jesus says, into hell. Now, when you look at the foot and you study the Bible, and many of you who have read through Proverbs and Psalms, you know the foot becomes kind of a picture of your path in life. In fact, Psalm 121, verse three says, God will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Proverbs 4, 26 says, watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left, Proverbs 4.27, turn your foot from evil. So your hand has this picture of kind of what you do and your foot is where you go. And so your foot becomes this picture of where your feet take you and you want your feet to 
keep, on, keep you on the path, right? To take you to good, godly, edifying places and not to take you to places where you don't belong. So the guy goes in and he, he sits with his pastor and he, he says, Pastor, I, I, I'm gonna confess this. I've really been struggling with alcoholism. This has been a problem for a while. And look, I, I get off work and I'm trying. I, I had some sobriety and it was going good for a while, but I was walking home from work and I pass by the back door of this bar and I'm walking down this alley and I see my buddies in there and they're knocking back a cold one and I think, oh, can't be so bad. Maybe I'll just have one. And I end up in the bar and I can't have just one. So I knock back, you know, five or six beers and, and all of a sudden I find myself intoxicated. Pastor, I'm having a problem. My feet are taking me to evil. What should I do? And so the pastor says, well, let's get this straight. So you get off work and you walk down this back alley and the door of the bar is open and you see your buddies in there and the pool table and the beer and you get drawn in and you end up drinking too much, right? Right. Pastor says, okay, this is heavy now. See if you can stay with me. Walk down a different street. Do you need to write that down? You see, folks, sometimes we have met the enemy and it's us. What a lot of people attribute to the spirit of this and the spirit of that, look, uh, there's spiritual warfare, no doubt. But look, when people talk, start talking about spirits being related to tobacco and alcoholism, I'll tell you this, the only spirits there are the ones within the bottle. The one that is taking your feet there is you. These are called works of the flesh. Now, there is a battle, and the devil does use those things to try to stumble us, but the solutions are very clear. Change the course of your feet. This is captured by cutting off, or if you want to call it a redirect. Where their worm does not die, verse 46, and the fire is not quenched. And then finally, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye. You might write in your margin there with an eye patch on, just if you're a pirate fan. Just kidding, I thought you might need a little humor, though it wasn't funny. Anyway, then having two eyes to be cast into hell. The final thing, it's what you do, it's where you go, and it's what you look at. Again, this is not literal, this is a spiritual picture, this is a metaphorical picture, this is all about what you look at and what you keep your gaze on. You know, we have a society right now that is absolutely devastated by pornographic images that are all over the place. It's going younger and younger and younger, and there are people that are being ensnared with their eyes. And look, you go, you go to the grocery store now and you try to buy some groceries at a, what seems to be just the average grocery store and there's things in front of you that you don't want to look at. And what you got to do is decide what your eyes are going to actually fasten on. It's not the first look that gets most of us in trouble. Some things we just simply can't avoid. We might be changing channels and there's something there. We might be driving down a freeway and there's a billboard there. We might be on our computer and all of a sudden something comes up. It's what you do afterwards with that that really matters. It's what you do with what you're gonna gaze upon and what you're gonna allow to come in. And look, any of you who have struggled in this particular area with images that are not pleasing to God and that are corrupt, man, they come back. They'll flash back at the most inopportune times. You don't even wanna go there. And Jesus says, don't go there. Don't look upon that stuff. Tear it out. You can think of the idea here using the metaphor of just get rid of it. Tear it up, burn it, do whatever you need to do to make sure that you don't go there again. 
Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, Pastor Michael, so Jesus is giving these stern warnings. What do you do if you've messed up? What do you do if you feel like you've stumbled other people? What do you do? Well, here's the good news, and Pastor Chris said this, every day as a Christian is a new day for me. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And where you can make amends where you've made mistakes, then you make amends. What you can control, you try to make amends for. But what really matters, brothers and sisters, is what you decide to do now with your Christian life. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm gonna tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com, scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer, and our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. Paul says, I'm not looking behind. I'm pressing what? I'm pressing ahead, and that's a running image. That's an Olympic image. We could spend all day long looking back here and going, oh, I wish I, oh, I, wish I, I, wish I would have passed that guy when I had the... You can do that all day long, but that's not gonna change what's behind you in the race. What you need to worry about is what's in front of you, amen? And Jesus is the one who gives new beginnings. He's the one whose mercies are new, how often? Every morning, and as Pastor Chris likes to say, that's good because I exhaust his mercies usually the day before, so it's good. <laughs> that they're new every morning. You see, it's all about what we decide to do now. Each day is a day to decide who you're gonna live for and how you're gonna live. And when Jesus talks about these realities, he even goes in in Luke 17 and talks about forgiveness. He says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And remember Peter, right on the heels of this difficult teaching, you know, he thought he was doing good. Jesus says, if he sins against you seven times a day, returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, then forgive him. And Peter thought he was doing good. And, but after this teaching, the apostles respond, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, look, I don't say 70 times, I say what? 70 times seven. Now, how much is that, mathematicians? 490, so in the 491st time somebody messes up, you don't have to forgive them, just so you know. Just kidding. What Jesus is using is an inexhaustible number. By using sevens, he's using a number that is complete, inexhaustible. That's how God deals with us, and that's how we are called to deal with one another. Now take one more peek back in Luke 17. I wanna show you this image. Right after Jesus preaches about stumbling blocks and forgiveness, here's what he says. Luke 17, look at verse six. The apostles say in verse five, increase our faith. In verse six, the Lord said, Luke 17, six, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, I don't think Jesus is talking about the faith of a mustard seed, by the way, is the smallest garden seed in Israel, almost imperceptible to the eye. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, if you had enough faith, you could just yell at that tree, be uprooted in the name. And I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that roots that have planted deep in your heart, please hear me, unforgiveness that's gone down deep, ways of living that you can't let go of, 
If you had faith as a mustard seed, the Lord would uproot that out of your life and it would be no longer a root of bitterness. It would no longer be a root of a trigger that you tend to go back to. It would, if you just had a little bit of faith, listen, Jesus says that tree that's gone down deep in your life would be uprooted and it would be cast into the sea of forgetfulness. That is the beauty of what Jesus is saying here. Finally, in verse 10, Luke 17, he says, so you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Schindler, famous, uh, go back to Mark, who was famous for trying to get Jews out of Nazi Germany, said these famous words. He said, look, there's no credit that I deserve. I am unworthy. He says, I should have done more. I really only did what I ought to have done. Now Jesus says in Mark 9, 48, as we sum it up, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So he's taught about this place where people who lead others astray potentially can end up. And he says there the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Now the place that Jesus is referring to, just like the millstone picture is so graphic in the minds of the disciples, is a literal place in their time. It was known as the Valley of Hinnom. It was the place that became the garbage dump in Israel. And they had what's been called a perpetual fire. They would burn the garbage there. And it was always a sight within your eyes uh, to see if you were anywhere in Israel because the fire would go up continually and they would put, it was like the modern dump, they would put garbage, they would put carcasses of dead animals there and they even say that in Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom, there were bodies of people who were executed by Rome and they didn't wanna give them a, a, a burial, nobody really cared, if you will, and so they were even thrown in Gehenna, and there were dead bodies there, garbage, a perpetual fire, and maggots and worms. Sorry to gross you out before lunch, but here it is. They were kind of all over the place, and they were constantly filled on what was put there. They always had a food supply. And this particular image is actually borrowed from Isaiah 66, 24, just write it down for your notes, it's the last verse of the book of Isaiah. Now, if you've studied Isaiah, Isaiah is all about salvation. It's a book about salvation. All these prophecies about the coming Messiah. But in the millennial reign of Jesus, the thousand-year reign of Christ, this image is there, and it is quite possible that something like this will exist in the millennial kingdom for us to remember what we were saved from. And the disciples, when they heard these kinds of images, I mean, this, this would be right there on the forefront of their minds. They knew these things quite well. And Jesus, of course, is highlighting the fact that God is holy. Final verses, for everyone will be salted with fire. You might wonder, what does that mean? Salted with fire is an image from Leviticus 2.13. If you read study Bibles on this, um, here's what it says, that when they, when they were gonna offer a burnt offering, they would salt it. And some of you say, well, Why? I've asked that question. I read Leviticus 2.13. I say, why did they put salt on the sacrifices? And the answer is no scholars really know. They don't know. Except that it may be that for God, since a right sacrifice became what? A sweet-smelling aroma to God that God liked the seasoning. And so they would salt the sacrifices and it would become a pleasing aroma to God. And here's the image. Everyone here is a personal application. We're all living sacrifices and we need to be salted. 
We need to be purified, if you will, in the fire. And Jesus says salt is good, but if the salt, verse 50, becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be what? At peace with one another. Stop arguing is his point. Salt is good, but what if salt becomes unsalty? How many of you are salt fans? Just raise up your hand. How many of you are and you didn't want to confess it? How many of you are being nudged by a loved one who's telling you the doctor said to get the salt out of your life? Salt on french fries, right? Imagine if you had a salt shaker there, and if you've ever messed with your friends, you loosen the calf, right? Ruin their french fries. But we don't want to do that because we're supposed to let everything we do be done in love. But anyway, but imagine that you put it, your fries are kind of bland. You go, wow, that needs salt. You put salt on it, a little bit more salt, and then you figure out it's not changing the taste of your fry. And you take one of the granules and go, you know what? That salt's not salty. What do you do with non-salty salt? I don't know. How do you fix it? Do you make it hang out with salty salt for a while? Maybe. How do you make unsalty salt salty again? Say that five times fast. <laughs> this is like, in the, in the modern uh, times, this is like having a refrigerator that's not cold. Your fridge is supposed to preserve food, ve fruits, vegetables, meats. But if you're, have you ever had a power outage in your house and the, the fridge is not cold? So you tell all of your family, don't open the fridge because you got to keep things cold until they get this power on. Been off for 45 minutes. And if you have teenagers in your house, they can't do it. They have to look every 2.5 seconds into the fridge just to see if something new has arrived. Hey, you eat around here? You're like, you just ate 10 minutes ago. Close the fridge. <laughs> you know, I made a discovery. This is later in life. Some of you will very much relate to this. I used to always be perplexed. My mom and grandma would all, always say, close the door, the air conditioning's on. In or out, out or in. <laughs> you're like, jeez, you're so cranky. How much air is going to flow out in the time that I, I did this? Shut the door! There's absolutely no application to this sermon. <laughs> Other than I have found myself in the chair doing the same thing. Close the door! What are you doing? Sad. <laughs> I need to be seasoned. Have my speech seasoned with salt, Colossians 4, 6. Anyway, we digress. We are called to be a preserving influence in a decaying world. You know, they used to pay soldiers in salt. They used to say, that's where the saying came, that person's not worth their salt. They would actually pay you in salt because salt was absolutely critical in the ancient world. If you didn't have salt, you couldn't preserve your food. No refrigeration back in the day. No ice cubes and that kind of thing. And Jesus says, Luke 14, 34 and 35, and we're done. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become ta tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or the manure pile, and it is thrown out. And then Jesus says, Luke 14, 35, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as the worship team comes on up, we'll do a closing song here, Pastor. Um, I wanna tell you about an article I just put on the website. My lovely wife actually just did it. But it was a teaching I just gave recently in a men's breakfast, and a lot of the guys were asking for access to it, so here's how you can get to it. 
Here's the article. It's called What to Do When You Mess Up Instead of Suit Up. It's kind of a play on the armor of God. What to do when you stumble and sin instead of suiting up is the idea of the article. You go to our website, go under Bible Studies, Articles, and you'll get to the article. I would highly encourage you to read this, maybe even today. 10 points, rapid fire, go and check the article. What do you do when you've messed up instead of suiting up? Number one, own it. Don't excuse it. Number two, know that your sin is first and foremost vertical and get right with God. That that was actually 1A. Number two is repent, confess it, and forsake it. Recognition is not the same as repentance. Esau recognized his blunder, but he didn't repent. Number three, see why you fell in the first place and learn from it, which includes eliminating stumbling blocks and triggers from your life. Ask yourself, what happened here, and how can I cut that off so I don't do that again? Number four, rest in God's grace and forgiveness. If you're in Christ, you are not condemned. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Number five, move forward. Get, go deeper with the Lord and don't look back. Get as close to him as possible. Number six, re-suit up. Put on the armor of God. Number seven, next time you're confronted with that same temptation, look down the road and see where it's going to lead you. You've gone down the same road a hundred times. You know where it leads you. Look down the road and ask yourself, do I want to go down that road again? Do I want to pay the price? Do I want to hit my head on the same dead end? Number eight, pray for five other people who you know are struggling in the same area right now and turn the temptation into an opportunity to pray for them. Number nine, remember that you are not alone. We all struggle with sin. And number 10 is run to Jesus. He understands. He can and he will help you. If you've been listening to Walk in Truth for a while and you're benefiting from this radio broadcast and you believe in it, then we need you to partner with us. You can do that by going to our website at walkintruth.com and check out Walk Together based upon Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, if you agree with what we're doing, you're benefiting from it, you want others to hear about it, you can partner with us to reach more people through the radio airwaves at walkintruth.com. Help us out, partner with us today, walkintruth.com. God bless you. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith, turning away from our sin, which is repentance. It literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek, which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, 
visit our website, walkintruth.com.